All right, welcome Inappropriate Earl fans. Uh, I'm very excited about today because, as you know, when I started this podcast five years ago, I wanted to interview my favorites, actors, musicians, comics, uh, 80s metal uh, stars like Stephen Piercy from Rat and the drummer from Cinderella. And today I have one of my <laughs> favorite actresses, uh, who I literally just met two seconds ago, but she meant a lot to my, uh, I guess you'd say my 80s movie watching uh, career. I first became aware of her in the movie The Wildlife, which we will talk about later, but it's not her first gig. That was The World According to Garp. Please put your hands together for the lovely and super talented Jenny Wright. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you jenny for doing this thank um, you i mean you uh were an integral part of my um not i mean my early teens i guess uh because and now full disclosure even though your boyfriend's right next to you i did have a crush on you uh after i saw the wildlife but i'm sure many a <laughs> man have told you that yeah, I I think I helped a lot of men cross through their their adolescence. Oh, and I so I owe you a double thank you, not just for doing this podcast, but for helping me through. Uh, I don't know, discover girls can be pretty cool. Um, yeah. So you born and raised in New York. What got you into the acting bug? Well, I don't know if it's hereditary. My grandfather was a brilliant vaudevillian uh, actor and traveled all through Europe and the States and was very famous and uh, had, a, had a brilliant career. Um, and so it might have rubbed off on me a little bit through his stories and his 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 uh, love of the life of a traveling showman. Um, and, uh, but I always had the bug. I just had the bug. I, um, I wanted to be in the performing arts. And, um, and I, it took a lot to get, to get that career into motion. I didn't have a lot of uh, backup behind me, even though my grandfather was so, was so, <clears throat> excuse me, famous. His contacts and his career ended a long time before I came into my own, which was when I was 17. Um, I did the world according to Garp, Underage. <laughs> okay, it's all right. We won't tell anyone. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but that's how I got my SAG card, and um, and it just it just sort of snowballed after that. Um, and I got some really good parts. Um, Alan Parker picked up on me uh, with the wall. And um, I went to London and did that. And um, that was really, that was fun. I was very young. I was 18. And um, 
And, uh, and then I started working in New York. And, and I started I started taking acting classes when I was when I was pretty young too, when I was in 16, 17. And um, through through a um, an acting coach named Joanne Barron, um, I got uh, I turned on to some producers that were working in in Hollywood. And they were involved with Sean Penn and Sean Penn's father and um, introduced me to that crowd. And uh, I got my first Hollywood picture. So I, I kind of transferred my New York work to Hollywood work. And um, when did you model for Dolly? Well, I was modeling for, so I modeled for Salvador Dali for um, the whole of one winter. He comes to, New, he used to come to New York every winter and stay at the San Regis Hotel. And he chose me to be his muse. And I modeled for him. Um, and we'd go out to these huge feasts afterwards at Trader Trader Vicks. Oh, wow. And yeah, it was quite a scene. And there would be these incredible six foot, six foot five transvestites and, and scientists and, and you know, uh, just incredible mixture of people that I was surrounded by. And uh, Salvador took a great liking to me and wanted to take me to Spain. And um, that was an opportunity that I passed on um, because things were heating up in New York and, uh, and in California. And that's where my focus had been. So it would have been a big digression. It would have been a, a real digression. Uh, not necessarily in the wrong direction, but uh, well, it would have been an experience, but it, it probably would have derailed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, mean, I think you made the right choice there, but it's good that you got that one winter. Not many people yeah. say that. Salvador was an amazing man. He was an amazing man, and we did some incredible work. Um, well, uh, while I modeled for him. Um, I wrote a piece for Fangoria magazine, a two-part series about my experience working with Salvador. Wow. And uh, it was very erotic and, uh, and, um, and fascinating. And he, he really opened my eyes to, uh, he was way ahead of his time and he opened my eyes to the whole transgender lifestyle and he was very hip to that and um he worked with a lot of transvestites and and uh he was he was drawn to great beauty and uh, apparently a lot of these men could make themselves up to be the most gorgeous women <laughs> oh, for sure. I mean, well, back then it was kind of an underground uh, taboo lifestyle. You know, now yeah. it's 
That was before Stonewall. I'm not sure, but it was probably yeah. once. It but, probably was. But now with uh, like a mainstream show like RuPaul's Drag Race, where uh, it's, uh, well, that's more drag queens than transvestites, but it, it's more out in the open and celebrated than in the 80s. Yeah, there's, there's, don't forget, there's still a lot of hate out there, though. Oh, absolutely. I live uh, right in the middle of West Hollywood, so I... You know, I, I unfortunately see uh, that uh, not too often, but um, you know, still yeah. some ignorant people out there for sure. Yeah, but, yeah, that's where I lived when I lived in Hollywood. I lived in West Hollywood and Silver Lake, and um, I yeah. loved it. I had the best friends there. I met such great people. Oh yeah, West Hollywood is. I think if you're an actor or a comic like myself. You know, it's no better. Uh, it's so central to the studios and the comedy clubs and, and uh, any auditions you have to go through. Now, when so like your first role was World According to Garp, you're 17. And I look at that cast and were you intimidated at all? Because not just Robin Williams, who was probably the number one comic in the world at that time. Uh, one of my favorite actors, John Lithgow, Glenn Close. Uh, Hume Cronin, who I, I loved in Cocoon. Oh, he was great. Like, was there a... Uh, that's like your first basketball game, being with Michael Jordan and, you know, LeBron. Yeah, you know, how yeah. did you deal with your... You must have been nervous more so than... Uh, she has a good well, story about Robin, this. Robin was a, an amazing man, brilliant. His mind worked faster than anybody else's. And um, we had a love scene to do behind the bushes. We were, uh, he was portraying a much younger character and I was portraying somebody younger than my age, but we were doing a sort of, uh, you know, investigate sex scene for for and i was very nervous because it was a frontal nudity scene and i was only 17 and i i had skipped under the ropes and uh but there was this huge crowd around us in a circle and we were in this bush you know in these bushes and robin comes out in his bathrobe, you know, and I figure he's got on shorts and, you know, and whatnot, and I'm going to have to do the nudity. And he takes off his robe and he's totally naked. (laughs) (laughs) He's completely naked and he's covered in hair. He's the hairiest person. but he took all of, I mean, the, 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 uh, the, the whole crew had been nervous for me. You know, they were all nervous for me. They were nervous about doing the scene. Um, and uh, he, took, he completely abolished any feelings of... The tension was... Right. Tension. Yeah, he, he took away the tension. He just made it a big joke about himself and and wasn't this silly what we were doing. And and he sort of pranced around naked. Huh. And then we did the scene. And, 
And I walked away, you know, unscathed, unscathed. Now, when you have a, um, and I'm not trying to be like funny, but when you have a, a, a love scene, uh, do you go over with the actor beforehand and go, hey, uh, we'll kiss, but uh, just fake the rest of it? Or how does that work? And I'm being completely serious. Well, it wasn't a touchy-feely scene. It was more dialogue, but I I was meant to have my top down. Right. And uh, which, you know, it was the 80s and... <laughs> yes, it was. And women kind of got the short end of the stick, but... Um, It worked out because of what Robin did. Right? Yeah. It was the 80s, enough said. Uh, yeah. yeah. And then, I mean, I don't think uh, very many actresses had the start that you did in terms of the people you get got to work with. Like uh, one of my Bob Geldof was amazing. And the, like the Executioner song, which was a very uh, famous story in the early 80s about Gary Gilmore and, and execution. and. Uh, you know, you got to work with Tommy Lee Jones, like your third film in. I know. He was a great actor. Um, he was a great actor. Very intense. Well, I would imagine that was a serious, uh, I mean, at the time, TV movie, they didn't really cover uh, subjects like what he, you know, his life story. So uh, it, that was a TV of, movie, Executioner song. Yeah. It was. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I imagine it, is the preparation a lot different from like say working with Robin Williams, the world's funniest man, to a, an incredibly serious actor like Tommy Lee Jones at that time. Well, my process was the same. So my process was the same. So I can't speak to that. It, the, right. They're both very intense actors, both very different. And I guess I approached them both differently. Right. But, but always as myself and bringing to the scene or what have you, bringing to it what I could. Um, and then you go from that to The Wall, which was a uh, gigantic concept album Pink Floyd did. And uh, right. you get to work with Bob Geldof and Bob Hoskins. I mean, I, he really, he started out like a rocket, like working with all these great people. Was The Wall fun to work on? It was. Being in London was fun. And being 19 and being, you know, you know, given free reign and you know, my own hotel suite. And it was really fun. It was really fun. And uh, the sets were big with a lot of extras. Um, there were the concert scenes. And then there was the scene in the hotel room, which was very intense and unrehearsed. Um, so there's potential for a lot of damage in that scene um i came out of it unscathed but again shook 
shook because he really threw that card at me. And, <laughs> and uh, he was a very method actor. Wow. And, uh, and he was uh, in character. Sure. He was in character. And so. then your next movie is How I Discovered You. Uh, I still love this movie to this day, The Wildlife, uh, because it has so many of my favorite actors in this one movie, from you to Eric Stoltz to uh, Elon Mitchell-Smith and the the great Hart Bachner, who, uh, if you watch the movie Die Hard, he steals the movie. Um, Was that a... I mean, that was kind of a loose sequel to Fast Times. it was. Uh, it was kind of not really. I mean, they, they you just kind of look at uh, Chris Penn as, oh, that must be Spicoli's brother, and it's a different uh, story. But was that a fun movie for you to work on? It was. It was. And um, Chris, Chris was. <laughs> Chris was a ball of contradictions. Right. Um, he cared about what he was doing, but it never got in the way of his having a good time. Well, for sure. And, uh, <laughs> he was a hedonist. <laughs> uh, yes, he lived life to the fullest. He did. He did. And... Um, And I, I became very close friends with Sean Penn, and we, our friendship remained for years. Wow. Uh, we remained friends for years, and um, about about up until the time he got married to Madonna, right. that that was about the end of. He kind of stratosphered into a different headspace, and he. He kind of he kind of went Hollywood for a while, whereas he hadn't been that way before. Right. Um, and, he kind uh, of was capitalizing on his, even though even though it seemed that he wasn't that they were shying away from all the publicity and stuff. When you get involved in a relationship like that, you know, there's going to be publicity, you know, there's going to be controversy, you know, when you put Madonna with, with an actor that's very successful at that time. Oh, for sure. So, I mean, they're both probably the tops of their profession. Uh, right. I don't know. In some ways, right. it would last because they know what the other's going through with the stress and and whatnot. But then, uh, usually, they never last. Uh, uh, yeah, whatever. I was just going to say that. I don't know whether it's egos of both or egos of just one is too much for the other person. Probably both. That relationship was, trou- yeah. that relationship was troubled from the beginning. It was troubled from the beginning. Well, I would imagine, uh, you know, she's probably jealous of all the girls chasing him because he's a good-looking guy, successful, and he's obviously was pretty jealous about some of her fans and the paparazzi. So, it just just from an idiot like me's perspective, it just seemed like it was doomed from the start. It was doomed from the start. Um, it was doomed from the start because. Sean's ego couldn't 
he he couldn't step aside. Right. And I don't think she could step aside to let him have his moments and let her have her moments. Right. You know, so they tried to kind of ride this mutual moment. (laughs) And uh, it didn't work that well. It didn't work that well. Their chemistry wasn't really that great. It really wasn't. I wasn't compelled by their chemistry. I mean, I wasn't compelled by it. I didn't, I, I wasn't curious about them or, or drawn to their circle or. Uh, you were too busy I, making movies. I was too busy making movies. Uh, was um, like when you guys were doing the wildlife, was there an expectation that it might because uh, I thought it was funnier than Fast Times, uh, to be honest. But Fast Times did a bit better after you guys uh, finished the movie. Was there like an excitement of like, hey, this could be the new Fast Times? And you saw what happened to those people's careers after that movie, you know, uh, got a lot of people work. Uh, or do you just do the movie and and not think about the potential success it could have had? Well, actually... That's more like it. I I kind of did the did the project and 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 moved on to wow. the next project, which was a great project. Uh, the St. Elmo's Fire. Um, right. I mean, once again, you, you you had the Midas touch. You're in this great cast with you know Demi Moore and uh, Andrew McCarthy, who I love. Uh, and uh, that movie almost got overshadowed by John Parr's song, like, uh, you know, uh, St. Elmo's Fire, the song was such a big hit. That it was. Started talking more about the song than the movie. Was that a fun movie for you to work on? No, it wasn't. I appreciate wasn't. your honesty. <laughs> <laughs> it really wasn't. I wasn't part of the main story. Right. And the cast members had bonded in their characters, you know, in their characters. Uh, they had they had bonded. Right. So to speak. And um, I really didn't fit in. And the character didn't fit in in the storyline. Right. The character is an outcast. Um, she's, you know, she's Rob Lowe's, you know, girlfriend that got pregnant, you know, or, and, um, she's not part of his crowd. Right. And, uh, and that remained to be true. And I really wasn't interested in any of those. It's a terrible thing to say. Oh, yeah, I'm really interested in those people. Um, Andrew, Andrew, I liked him. I appreciated his sense of humor. But I didn't get close to any of the character, any of the people in that movie. Like I've uh, often uh, wondered this. Like if you went to the you now, uh, you're back east. So let's say you went into a Dwayne Reed's to get a. Uh, I don't know, a soda pop and you see Andrew McCarthy in line, do you say hello to him? Or like when you've worked with someone, 
you know, 30 years ago, would you guys talk at all or would you just say, I don't want to talk to him? I would probably talk to him. Right. Because I think Andrew has, I think he's come full circle and he, um, I think he's come full circle with Hollywood and, and uh, he really breached stardom in, um, in a way that, that I didn't. And, and, uh, but he's, 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 He's had some humbling experiences, wow. I believe. And uh, so I think he'd be cool to talk to. I mean, this is a crazy business where I'm like, uh, I, I look at your uh, wildlife uh, cast member, uh, Elon Mitchell Smith. He just quit the business and teaches, uh, I think, in Texas. Like, he just, I quit. Like, uh, right. It's a very uh, uh, pressure. Uh, Rick Moranis quit for a while. And Molly Ringwald quit for a while. Yeah, no, I mean, I just, like, I love Elon Mitchell Smith. Like, he was great in Weird Science. And, uh, and of course, we'll talk in a minute about the Chocolate War, which I just, I'm a big John Glover fan. And I like, so I, and that cast was, uh, actually, we'll talk about it now. Uh I had seen a movie with John Glover called 52 Pickup, which was a very, very 80s with Roy Scheider and Ann Margaret, where he played the bad guy. And I saw he was in the movie. I believe I saw that movie. Um, it's It was kind of the poor man's fatal attraction. It, it came out a year previous to fatal attraction. You know, like we're just talking about, for whatever reason, it didn't do well. And uh, great cast with uh you know, some fantastic actors like Mr. Glover and Clarence Williams III. But uh, that got me into seeing The Chocolate War. And uh, I thought you and Elon Mitchell Smith had a great chemistry. Like, uh, you were the outcast. And he was too, kind of. Was was that uh, a fun, like, indie-type movie for you to film? It really was. It was. But again... Um... Again, I came, to, I came to the part bringing with it what I had to bring with me. Wow. I, I don't exactly know how to articulate it, but um, I brought myself with me to all my jobs. <laughs> and uh, it, at that time in my life, I was a little bit... Uh, disengaged right. so the role was easy for me to play um it wasn't a it wasn't a far reach um i was involved in the punk scene in hollywood right. as you probably know and uh it clashed with my hollywood career to in in a to a degree and um in that my social circle didn't involve a lot of Hollywood people. My social circle was more of the underground art scene right. that was going on in Hollywood. And um, the musicians and the, the piercers and the strippers and the 
<laughs> and the um, poets and those those were the people that I was bonding with. No, no, and, I'm, uh, very much the same way. Like you know, I should be hanging out with people who can help me. You know, right. agents, managers, uh, right? People like and very much that way. Instead, I'm hanging out with uh, not necessarily strippers. That's not my life anymore. But uh, the people of that uh, genre, and it's, it's funner, but it probably hurt your not, uh, my career for sure. When I should have been networking a little more to uh, right networking more. I should have networked more. Yeah, I definitely should have networked more. There's got to be a balance in there, though. You know. Oh yeah, I mean. I think you can have a fun yeah, time, but it needs to be a balance. It probably took me 10 years, uh, and I'm I'm pretty sure comedy is the same as acting in terms of the connections. It took me a decade to go, oh, I need to start making connections and inroads with people who can help me. <laughs> like, uh, I'm, I'm kind of right. waiting. Like, it's fun to hang out with your friends and go to the Viper Room, see a show, or. Right. Know, or this it might have been called the central back then. Uh, right. But, you know, I'm not going to get a development deal uh, watching Motley Crue at the Starwood. It's exactly right. Yeah, that's a choice. That's for sure. You know, it's, a, it's an easy choice, I think, to look back for both of us and, and go, ah, man, maybe I should have done this instead of go see Kiss at the Palladium or, or something. Uh, so, uh, but I think your career is amazing. Like, uh, I, I love, because what I love about all your movies is they have a fantastic cast. Like, even uh, Out of Bounds uh, was a movie uh, that, you know, Jeff Cover is one of my favorite bad guys. Uh, he's just like the typical 80s bad guy. Was that a, uh, I mean, that was kind of a guilty pleasure type movie for the audience. Was it fun for you? Right. Yeah, it was. It was fun. Anthony Michael Hall was having difficulty. He was going through a crisis of of his own, uh, which made shooting a little bit bumpy. Right. But uh, um, but we would get through it, and the scenes would be good. And I don't think the movie reached its potential. Um, I think they, I think they could have been more authentic and they would have reached a wider audience if they had been more authentic and a little less, uh, stigmatized. Sure. Um, well, it's funny. I just had Pepe Serna, who is a legendary, uh, the character actor on and he, he spoke highly of the film but he also said the same thing it could have been better man uh but uh it had all the elements it had all the pieces it just wasn't put together right do you think part of that was maybe uh the, the general audience couldn't get past anthony michael hall has the skinny kid from 16 candles like and now it, it, it could very well be but if he had, well, if he didn't uh, have problems at the time, maybe. Uh, 
That's an interesting question, and I don't know if how honest I want to be about that, but... Oh, it's all good. This is a fun interview. Uh, well, I just, for me, like, I had a problem. I mean, I still love the movie, but it was hard to see him as anything but that skinny kid in 16 Candles. Right. I and, think um, they made a casting mistake. And now, all of a sudden, he's turned into this almost James Bond uh, born identity, like, superhero, like... Right. You know, uh, it should have gone all that way or well, not that way at all. Sure. Uh, you know, and made him just a little sort of punk guy that gets involved and, you know, right. This punk guy is trying to be the John Westbourne. Right. Well, it reminded me of a movie and I, I'm forgetting the name of it, but it, it was very similar. Uh, uh, take with Patrick Dempsey, you know, it was right after he did Can't Buy Me Love. They, uh, I'm sure he was getting offers left and right. And uh, he did this movie where he takes on the mob, and it's like, uh, that's the little kid from Can't Buy Me Love. Like, <laughs> I don't think I'm buying that he's a superhero now. But, uh, right. But, um, but then coming up next, and it's, it's kind of the, Reason I revisited uh, wanting you on the uh, podcast was uh, during the pandemic. Uh, I started rewatching Crime Story, uh, which is one of my favorite TV. I'm a big Michael man, you know, Thief, uh, Miami Vice, of course. Uh, right. I just loved Crime Story, the, the whole cast. And once again, you Miami get- Vice wanted me on their show oh. so bad. They, would call me in on every casting. And I had this, this like thing where I wouldn't do a Miami Vice because they, they low rate their women so badly right. in those shows. So the, the crime story I did, and then I did another pro. Uh, project with him but uh i thought miami vice just took it too far well i mean i look i look back at that and i i probably uh, sadly agree with your assessment that uh, most of the women on the show were uh yeah, a lot of dna oriented kind of eye candy for yeah. uh, you, you know yeah uh, to just stand next to Don. Yeah, and I struggled with that through my whole career. I had to, I really had, I had that working for and against me. There weren't a lot of great jobs for women back then in those years in the 80s and early 90s. There just weren't. It's not like today where there's great documentaries and and uh, independence, it, it just wasn't like that. And great TV. And back, great TV. Back then, if you did TV, it was just a step down. But now, yeah, TV is, you know. That's very true. I think back. And I did TV. Yeah. I, I integrated TV and film. And uh, because I thought good work is good work. And... Um, but a lot of people didn't feel that way. There's some people who just refuse to do TV. But I, I heard Ray Liotta talking recently about how much he enjoys having to get up every day, go to work, 
do the job instead of doing a project and then just sitting around waiting for the phone to ring. It's, uh, well, I think TV is, uh, I was on the Showtime show, I'm Dying Up Here, which is about 70s comedy. And uh, the hours were just brutal. And I was like a recurring character, so it wasn't that bad for me. But, uh, you know, it's, as you know, uh, 15, 16 hour days. And, yeah. Uh, you know, especially with the stand up show, you have to get the front shot of the comic speaking the lines and then the back shot of the crowd. So it's a lot of repetitive. Yeah. And that's a, yeah. I never story. thought of that. Yeah. Uh, it was yeah. fascinating to watch just because I thought like, I'm an idiot. I, I used to think movies were shot in sequence. Like the first, <laughs> no, I really like, before it's I got funny because they're so not. Yeah. Like I was reading, um, Rutger Hauer's biography because he's one of my favorite actors and uh he was I love in, that thing he does at the end of Blade Runner that oh yeah that, that's not, I've seen uh fires above Orion or whatever something like that yeah but he was he's talking right. about uh, the movie he did with Stallone uh Nighthawks and uh, yeah. his death scene uh the last scene of the movie was actually the first scene shot and I was like, how the hell did that work? Like, uh, that must be awkward. But uh, one where they're on the tram, tramway, and the tram in New York City. Yeah, it's it's one of Stallone's less. I lived on 59th Street then. I remember that. Yeah. Well, I guess he, uh, Stallone, and this goes to show you the wackiness of filmmaking. You know, the uh, when he shot Rucker Hauer, um, the tension cord was set to like two, just uh, to pull. Uh, pulling back to simulate the shots and so, oh my god but Stallone without telling Rutger Hauer told the stunt guy put it, <laughs> put it to 10 and so, oh. if you ever have a reason watch Nighthawks which is a great early 80s you know uh, I've got to watch it just to see that well, it's a great scene because it it worked because you look at the expression on Rutger Hauer's face. Close to reality, yeah. Wow, that's like, cool. I guess after that scene, because he was a pretty accomplished actor in, in uh, the Netherlands, he went up to Stallone, who's a big star at that time, and said, "Listen, motherfucker, if that's how <laughs> we're going to have a problem." And if you watch the rest of the movie. It it kind of helped the movie because you could see they hate each other. Like you could. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's cool. Yeah. Did you ever have that, Jenny, on a movie? And you don't have to mention names, but like maybe a, a co-star wasn't nice to you. So in the scenes you had with them, you it was a little extra oomph in them for you. You don't have to name names if you want to. You can, but like, I don't. Remember her mentioning anything like that to me? I don't think there was. That's good then. No, the only the only problem I had was with the makeup and wardrobe departments. <clears throat> was it a thing like they tried to make you too cute, or I mean, because obviously you are and very beautiful now, and and back then as well. Was it? Do they try and bimbo you up, I guess, for lack of Absolutely. Absolutely. And my lifestyle in my own life was such that I was I was showing up on the set in not good condition. Right. I mean, as my career escalated, 
I was having pro I was starting to have problems and um and uh they the makeup and hair people were at the brunt of that pro of that problem of sure. trying to fix that problem every day when we'd come to set and um it's interesting. I ran into a, a woman who uh, came up to me and admitted that she had hated me for years because of the difficulty that I presented on her job right. as a wardrobe uh, assistant, meaning keeping my costumes clean and whatnot. And she had since that time run into her own problems with substance abuse and she totally understood and asked for my forgiveness <laughs> and um it was just a moment where i was able to apologize and and uh both apologized. We both nice, apologized, yeah. and it was a, a moment. It was a nice moment. And now, uh, getting back to crime story, like that's most people would say uh, the beginning of Michael Mann's prime. You know, you know the eighties to say Heat, which I think was ninety five ish, uh, and you got to play the love interest to Kevin Spacey uh, before. I know. Uh, well, you and were so no, he never tried anything with me, but then I don't think I'm the right sex. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I think you're missing something exactly. that he desires. Uh, right. <laughs> get into that. Uh, but that was so much fun, dancing around in the cactus garden and singing. <laughs> well, you were so classy looking in that, like they were in, which are, my, uh, not Miami Vice, but Crime Story, you know, was Based in the 60s uh, until season uh, two, they went to Vegas and modernized it a little bit. But like, right. what I always loved about that show was the costumes and the cars. And I think it got canceled, not because the ratings, but it was just too expensive to uh, right. an episode. Uh, I believe it was a million dollars an episode, which was a lot for. Uh, yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, they really. Is they, that salaries or, or the no the budget stuff? Yeah, think, uh, for the if you watch uh, wardrobe and, they, and the yeah the wardrobe locations I mean, and I know Michael Mann is pretty legendary for his uh, some would say bizarre attention to detail. Uh, you know, there's a famous scene in the movie Heat where. Uh, De Niro walked in on uh, Ashley Judd cheating on her husband, Val Kilmer. And De Niro hits a group of wire hangers. And they shot that scene for six hours because Michael Mann didn't like the sound that the hangers were making. So, uh, oh, my God. That's crazy. But the, So then I watch episodes of Crime Story, like the one you were in, and, and really all of them. And even the waiter in the farthest part of the camera view is in an authentic mid sixties tuxedo. Like it was, uh, yeah, the detail. Was that fun for you to like almost be suspended in time and do a, a 
time machine and go back in that era? It was, it was with the wardrobe and makeup. It was fun. And Kevin Spacey, uh, one of the and Kevin Spacey and Dennis Farina. Oh, I, I, oh, I met him at my church one time, and I, I don't get starstruck very often. And, and I like Dennis Farina. Yeah, well, he he got to carry me naked out of a shower <laughs> when uh, well, the mob boss beat me up for being man. unfaithful, and and uh, that was quite something. Uh, did you ever? Um, so you do crime story and Michael Mann. Like, does he say, "Hey, I'd like to work with you again," or like keep in touch, or is it just once again do the gig and move on to the next one? Um, it was a successful gig. I mean, it was a successful job. So uh, he kept asking me in for Miami Vices and wanting me to get kind of in his, on his payroll. Right. Cause he does use, that's one of the great things about Michael Mann and I'm sure several others, but he uses a lot of the same people. Uh, yeah. He wanted me to be on his payroll and I just didn't like this, the status of the right. women. But I think the first two seasons of, uh, Miami Vice was a little darker of a show, so it wasn't quite as bimbo-y. But then I think once they hey, listen, I understand there's only so many drug dealers you can be chasing without sexing up the show. Uh, but I think once after season two, it was like, all right, we need some bimbos in this scene. <laughs> right. So uh, right. then you went right from Crime Story to the Chocolate War. And then uh, you, know, you, you kept steadily working uh, till about 1998. It's still NYPD Blue, Lawnmower Man. Uh, any favorite memories from any of those? Young Guns too. You did mention Near Dark, which I think is interesting because that was my best film. Uh, well, I yeah, I'm Catherine Bigelow. I mean, that's uh, that's yeah, Catherine Bigelow. And what did you say? That Catherine Bigelow had a nice compliment for her. What did you say about you playing any role? Or I don't know. Oh, well, maybe she'll remember it. Well, I'll guess it was that you could play any role. Like, you're well, it's funny, you're in uh, in Near Dark with uh, Jeanette Goldstein, who. Uh, is very known for, uh, like in uh, Aliens, she played almost a, a kind of a butch. I don't know if she was. Oh a, yeah, I like that cast. Bill Paxton. Oh, and the great, probably my favorite, and I hate saying character actor because I, just an actor, but like he seems to, to get character actor parts. Lance Henriksen is like. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He plays aliens and. Well, he was in Near Dark, and uh, I mean, that's no, a, he's great. I'm sad that I'm a science fiction geek and like Neuromancer and stuff like that. Lawnmower Man, like Charlie Flowers to Algernon, if if at that time the CGI was as good as it was today, I think that movie would have been a, a standout. Just the graphics don't hold See, up. I, and this is where I differ from a lot of people. I much prefer like Lawnmower Man as it is, uh, you know, like the Stallone movie Cobra. If that movie, I'm talking about Cobra now, was made today, it'd just be 
a lot of crap. Overdone. Oh, yeah, yeah, over the top. I, I, I hear what you're saying. But, the but, CGI, like, to me, ruins the Fast and Furious movies. It's just like, I mean, I know it's a movie, but it, it, just me personally, I like a little bit of believability. Uh, yeah. Well, in this case, I mean, with Lawnmower Man, it is fantasy, so I, I can I can buy into it. But Oh, but sure. I'm just, you know, I'm a realist. Like, when I watch Predator... Uh, you know, which may be the most homoerotic movie ever made with eight big dudes <laughs> in the jungle. Uh, yeah. It, it, in 80, I think that was 87 or 88, like there was no CGI. So it was just fairly believable. That was, I don't know, it looked real to me, but uh, what's been your favorite role you've ever done? Near Dark? Yeah, Near Dark was definitely my favorite. And, uh, what about I Madman? You won uh, the Saturn Award for Best Actress. Come on! Yeah, I Madman was terrific, and the the cast was underrated, but they did a really good job with the material, and um, that was fun. It was a hard shoot. We had long hours and a low budget, and uh, but it was. It was a fun movie, and uh, it's got a fan base. It has there are people that are that are very uh, <laughs> loyal to it, as they are to Near Dark. Well, hey, you got uh, to work with Clayton Roner. I mean, that's like he was in Miami Vice. Maybe you could have gotten in on his episode. <laughs> I could have seen you as a cute couple, uh, TV couple. <laughs> <laughs> You're funny. As you said earlier, she started off with a bang. Uh, I like her, her role in Garp. I thought that was such a cute, sexy teenager. Really. Oh my God! She, you just had a stage presence, or a, a, yeah, a screen presence, I guess. Uh, yeah. That uh, and a stage presence. Uh, well, it got me into the Screen Actors Guild with. It was a good that, role, though. With that one role, and. Um, I was kind of grandfathered in. Right. Um, usually, <clears throat> there's a whole um, series of hoops you have to jump through to get into the Screen Actors Guild that I didn't have to. No, I, I, I had to go through all those hoops. And, uh, oh, you did? Well, yeah, I mean, because oh. uh, this is all about you, but like, uh, I got my SAG card with the first two commercial auditions I ever went on. Uh, and I thought, wow, this business is easy. Mm -hmm. uh, no, I really like it's almost as dumb as saying movies are shot in the order you see them. And, uh, and I, <laughs> I literally didn't get a commercial callback, let alone gig for like 12 years. I'm like, oh, this is the business. So, uh, uh, do you uh, still do stand up? I know it's about Jenny, but do you still? I do. I do it uh, every, you know, it's. Uh, you go on tour or you yeah, just do it? If I'm ever in New York with you guys, uh, I'd love to. I was going to say, if you're going to play New York, you have to let us know. Yeah, yeah. No, I play The Stand a lot, which is, uh, I guess, uh, it's The Stand in the Cellar, the top two clubs. But, uh, you know, I'll try and work a wildlife joke in there. Uh, that would be fun to see you on stage. Yeah, we're in uh, Boondocks now, but I lived in New York for, like, 50, I love New York City. Oh, it's great. I mean, I, I'll never move out of L.A. just because I love it here so much. I yeah. Just, uh, you know, but New York, I love going there every now and then for the energy. It's just, yeah, but it gets to be too much after a while. 
Yeah, I, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, I don't know if I could live there full time, but like to go to Madison Square Garden and see a Ranger game was like, a, oh, yeah, I'll never forget. And uh, but, yeah, it's the difference uh, seeing something. I, I just, I, I was a Ranger fan, but the first time you go to a hockey game, it's just the electricity. Any sporting event, but especially hockey. Like I always tell people, hockey is like the rock group Kiss. Uh, you know, you you put on a Kiss mm-hmm. record, you're like, oh, they're not that good. But then you see them do the same song live. You're like, wow, this is the greatest. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking of New York. You were also Ginny in NYPD. Uh, Blue NYPD. I was uh, briefly. That, um, that was toward the end. Of, I mean, I don't want to see the end of your career, but like well, when you that was toward. No, I guess, it was the end, the end of my career. But I mean, would you? You, if you were offered something today, if Michael Mann or whoever called you and said, "Hey, could you come in and read for this?" Would you would you take a, take anyone up on the offer if you like the role? No, really. So you're doing you're Elon Mitchell Smith. You're you're like you're you're happy with what you accomplished and you're living your life. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Is that okay? Oh yeah, absolutely. I'll do comedy till I'm dead. Uh, but uh, even though, and I know you know this, the more successful you get, I naively thought the less bullshit you have to put up with. But mm-hmm. I find it the, the complete opposite. Like, and not that I'm anywhere near your level, but like the more success you get, the more bullshit you get. Like, you have to deal with it. So I, that's the only part that bums me out about the business. Did you? Just have enough around ninety eight and go. I, I I've done what I wanted. Well, it was a kind of out helper with this. It was a combination of done what you wanted and it was um, social stuff that you had to. I get it. No, that's all good. Um, I mean, it's a. I, I mean, it's a business, and I'm still trying to grasp. You know, and. Uh, yeah, and the, the combination was just uh, this is enough. Is that, uh, no, I understand. You worded so I'm not putting words in her mouth. Oh no, 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 I get it. But like, believe me, I, uh, I mean, stand up is uh, pretty pressure filled. Um, you know, and, and yeah, when I found out my agent was selling me out, you know. Right. And, Selling me out, putting, you know, other actresses that were in my same range, you know, that were maybe had a a hit movie out, you know, giving them the first opportunity at a new script. And even if it was better for me, they would, you know, even if it was more uh, a project that I would, you know, be good in. Right. Um, that kind of thing started happening. And um, yeah, there was just, there was just, there were some betrayals that, that uh, sank deep. And, um, and I just said, you know, this, this business is, uh, taking it was taking more than it was giving oh for sure yeah yeah i mean i've seen it every year i see it uh 
you know, whether it's clearly worked out a balance to survive now, you know, that's what you. Well, there's so many predators, I think, in this business and not just sexual, but like, you know. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. Predatory behavior in terms of like selling you out on scripts or, uh, you know, other things uh, agents and managers do uh, behind your back. And like, I could see why people walk away from the business like. Uh, That's what it was, really. I, I felt know. the people that I trusted most to have my back, you know, in the thick of things, uh, didn't. No, I understand. Like, I, you know, like when I first saw that Elon Mitchell Smith just quit and went teach in Texas, I'm like, that's nuts. This guy had a great career, like talented and, 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 but I get it now. Like he just wants to be a family man and, and you want to be a, a family a woman like in New York and, and. Yeah. There are a lot of people that have, have done their job. They've done their job and they've retired. People live longer now too. And, <laughs> and not necessarily with acting, but people have more than one career in their, in their life. Well, selfishly, I wish you still were in the game because I just found you. <laughs> no, no, I really, I don't want to kiss your ass too much, but it's it's really how I feel. You are an amazing actress, and uh, I just oh, thank uh, you, thank you for. I know it's weird uh, to get a request from some dude in Los Angeles to do a, a podcast, and uh, I, I very much appreciate you doing this. Uh, because I think a lot of people want to know what you're up to. And, and, uh, well, I need her to take care of our chickens and our dogs and our cats. And yes. our I, I have a German shepherd sitting at my feet right now. So, uh, <laughs> you know, she uh, protects me. Uh, but Yeah, we live a really simple life. We live life with a lot of, we have a lot of animals and and a garden and a lot of greenery. And, and we just, you know... It's actually a good music scene up here. We live in the middle of nowhere, but really good uh, touring bands come through the art town. Oh, that's great. Uh, yeah. And concerts are starting to happen again. Uh, yeah. yeah. You know, the only thing that I was glad about the pandemic is it saved me a lot of money uh, in terms of going to concerts. And yeah. uh, <laughs> so now I'm, uh, my piggy bank is restocked and I can go see Kiss again for the $3,000. Uh, it's still a little scary out there, but. Oh, yeah. I'm, happen, but. No, I'm not. Uh, I figure if I could do comedy for 20 years and not catch a disease, uh, it right. has no chance with me. Uh, we had our fun when the diseases weren't so bad. So. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, the worst thing you could get when we were running around is maybe VD, uh, which yeah. uh, I did not get for the record, but. Uh, um, Jenny, before I, I didn't get it either. Oh, oh no, I was. Uh, I, I, we survived. I mean, the if you survived the eighties, COVID had nothing on you. Uh, <laughs> you know, because we were in the era of, uh, uh, you know, maybe VD, maybe herpes. It's like the absolute, and then you know, right, right, right. other diseases came. Uh, you know, that were you know. Uh, you know, HIV and AIDS and whatnot, but uh, I don't want to end on that note. But uh, I, I, so I hope this doesn't bother you, but your glasses are kind of are cool, but they reflect the monitors 
I can take them sometimes off. You, sometimes you look like a robot, kind of, because you can see this, like the pupil looks like a... I feel like a robot. The six by nine aspect ratio I'm just, uh, reflection. I'm you'll see when you look at the uh, when you when you look at the playback. You'll know, see what I mean. It's I will. Cool. It's funny you mention robot because by my uh, computer is my uh, RoboCop doll. So uh, thank you. Uh, uh, yeah. Those I'm, are very interesting movies. I, I actually like those. Well, I met Peter Weller once. And I'm Peter like, Weller. Hey, yeah. I hate to bother you, uh, but uh, RoboCop greatest action movie ever he just shook my hand and said i'm buying printer ink thank you and uh, you know it wasn't the nicest guy <laughs> do you still get recognized jenny like do people come up to you and go hey you're the girl from garb and uh, listen to this we were we were shopping at our local yeah. rinky dink um grocery store about a year ago and the um cashier she says are you are you somebody famous she was just eyes, and she recognized Jenny. But she's like twenty years old. Yeah, right. You know, she, she's in her early twenties, but How she's dare seen. She recognized she's seen me. Jenny's movie. <laughs> Jenny's movies. I. Well, that's the, the great thing about like Netflix and Amazon Prime, and uh, yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, I actually showed uh, my girlfriend the Chocolate War uh, because she is a writer, and she's the one who makes money, <laughs> Emmy nominated, and all that stuff. <laughs> No, no, you're gonna love this movie. That's nice. Uh, it's it's great cast, and of course, she didn't know anyone in the cast because they're all, you know, she's 28, and you know, she she can tell you who Justin Bieber is, but not who, you know, John Glover is, which probably right. is. Uh, and she loved the movie. Uh, she said, "Oh my God, that girl!" She actually said this about you. That girl in the end is amazing. And I'm like, well, Uh-oh. better listen to the next episode. Uh, That's nice. Uh, is before I let you guys go, is there anything you want to put? Do you have a website or uh, social media, uh, or do you do you avoid that? I wish I could, but I can't. I've avoided it. Yeah, I've what? avoided it like a storm. Oh, I think it's the healthiest thing to not be on social media. Uh, but as you know, Jenny, uh, every meeting I take about. Cartoon work because of my voice or whatever. The first question they ask me is, "How many Instagram followers do you have?" I, I, it's like, well, I thought, oh my god, I thought this was a voiceover gig. What, what the hell does it matter? Yeah, right. Um, what what uh, cartoons do you voice over? Uh, right now, I'm the only white guy on an all black cartoon called The Jellies on Adult Swim and HBO Max. And uh, it's a rapper's cartoon. And, and he, he saw me at the comedy store one night and he's like, you have the greatest voice I've ever heard out of a white man's mouth. And, uh, <laughs> cool. He's like, do you want to know about my cartoon? Check it out. Yeah, we're going to check it out. And I, I like podcasts. I, when I, if we, if we travel or, or yeah. go to sleep, I put them on. So I'm going to put you in my. Uh, oh, thank you. I mean, I try and reach out to. Just like I said in the beginning, people like Jenny, who I'm a fan of, and, uh, you know, I, I've had, it's a very, I always tell people that my podcast is the podcast of, that's about everything, but nothing at the same time. Like, I'll have the bad guy from Superman 2 on, and, uh, you know, he, he was, I think he's in his mid-70s now. He didn't know what a podcast was, but he was so nice. He came to my house. 
and it, he was awesome. And then I had Pepe Serna on, who uh, was in Out of Bounds, uh, and he was he was right. a, oh he was great. I had no idea his history in acting was yeah. So, uh, no, actors are people too. You know? Oh, I, no, I love it, and I think people like. Like, I like it when people ask me about my career or whatever. And, and so I try and be respectful. Like, when Ginny uh, agreed to do it, I'm like, I, I mean, I didn't really need to do research on you because I, I was a big fan anyway. But um, I think that's so cool. And well, I have just, a fan. <laughs> oh, you have many fans. Two fans. We've got the biggest, your, your biggest fans right next to you. But I know. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. awesome to see uh, the love. I can. Feel the love uh, over the internet you guys have. And uh, I just wanted to say thank you for the 50th time, but it, it meant a lot to me, you doing this. And uh, I know how I know. I'm going to check out your podcast and, and. Oh, that would be great. I mean, I, I've had uh, a lot of eighties musicians on, uh, which was cool. And uh, I've had some famous comics on, uh you know, usually I do it on my couch right there because I like looking into people's eyes, being in the same room. Uh, but, uh, you know, obviously uh, we're on literally the opposite coast. So right. this opened up uh, the podcast of people like you who uh, I might not have ever gotten to do it with. So, right. um, yeah, that's a silver lining of the pandemic. This whole Zoom thing. Yeah, well, it's also hard to get people to. Uh, come to your house who don't know you they're like who the fuck are you <laughs> pardon my language uh, <laughs> and i get it dark dark street for a while and you know make life yeah right so i know i understand especially if they're a female guest they're like i'm not going over yeah. to some dude's house i don't know no, man, yeah uh but I, i've been lucky to get coax some people over here and uh hopefully one day we can do this in person uh, that would be nice. I, uh, see some of her LA friends uh, again, so that might happen. Oh, I would love to uh, have you on my couch and do this live. Hey, don't get nasty there. No, I uh, <laughs> do the podcast live. Not uh, I, I'm actually one of the few comics who are respectful of other people's right. girlfriends. Uh, but uh, so you're not on Twitter or Instagram, nothing you want people to. Uh, I am on Instagram, but I don't, I really don't active, follow it. Yeah. I'm not active okay. right now. Well, doesn't I think, mean I won't become active, but I'm not right now. Listen, if you can avoid it, do it. If I wasn't, I hate promoting myself, but, but you know. But you got to make a living and to do what you like to do, you need to promote yourself. Yeah, no, I mean, it's just, unfortunately, uh, the way the business is now, it, it's all uh, how many followers you have. and Yeah, yeah, that was a great, that was a great uh, Black Mirror about that. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, uh, but, you know, it's the business. It's not going to change because Earl doesn't like it. So, uh, <laughs> Jenny, I just wanted to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. You're uh, welcome. Thank you so much. You uh, were in so many films that I loved, and uh, uh, I apologize to your better half for the childhood crush I had on her. Uh, <laughs> no, no, that's a, and it makes me proud of her, actually. No, she, I mean, just, you were good in everything. Like, you, I mean, this, this is going to come out the wrong way, probably, but to me, you were like the female Gene Hackman, good in anything. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. No, I really mean that. You could be. That's kind of what Catherine Bigelow said, but I, I wish I could yeah. remember phrasing. 
you could be in a funny movie like uh, Out of Bounds or The Wildlife and, and, and have every young teenage boy fall in love with you. You could be in a serious movie. And uh, by the way, you did not, before I let you go, seeing that we just mentioned Catherine Bigelow, there was a role in Point Break that I could have totally seen you do, the Lori Petty part. You didn't audition for Point Break, yeah, did you? No. Right. No. Just throwing that out there. Um, so. No, I met her on the auditions for Near Dark and um, was cast very quickly. And one last question for you, and I always hate asking an actor this because some don't want to revisit the past. Um, is there a role you auditioned for or passed on that you look back and go, man, I wish I would have done that? Like uh, John Travolta passed on American Gigolo, and then, of course, Richard Gere got it. Um, he also passed on Officer and a Gentleman, and Richard Gere got that. So Richard mm -hmm. Gere owes John Travolta a lot. Uh, but <laughs> was there a, a role that maybe, you, you know, like you didn't seem like you regretted not doing Miami Vice, but was there something you did regret maybe passing on? Not that I can think of. I haven't heard her mention anything like that. That's when you know you've had a happy career when you can say you did all the parts you wanted to. So yeah, if only I had gotten this role. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I sort of the only thing that I wonder is what it would have been like to go to Spain with Salvador Dali. I mean, that's amazing. Like even an idiot like me knows who Salvador Dali is. I mean, I used to dress that would like have been a unique experience. Well, uh, maybe in another life, uh, yeah, okay. who knows? But uh, Jenny, I, I can't thank you enough. This will be out tomorrow. Um, I'll send you the okay. link. And uh, this is, uh, I'm going to just give I a little. I assume it's on iTunes or? Yes, it's on iTunes and SoundCloud. It might be on a few smaller ones that I don't know about. Yeah. But I'm, I'm, a, I'm a literal one-man podcast army, so I just yeah. put on the two yeah. big ones. Well, it's nice for me to meet you. Oh, very nice to meet you as well. Thank you for being a uh, uh, a uh, uh, sidekick of sorts, I guess. The, yeah, yeah, that's that's good. Uh, he is my sidekick. He's my one kick. Well, that's all you need. You guys are a great couple, and I can't wait to meet you in person, both of you. Uh, this has hey, been Earl. the Inappropriate Earl podcast with the fantastic Jenny Wright. If you're unfamiliar with her, get familiar with her. You could start at The World According to Garb. Uh, of course, I would direct you right or you do The Wall. That's a great uh, flick. My personal favorite, just because of the cast, The Wildlife. Um, most people don't know this about The Wildlife, but the guy who played the strip club bouncer, the huge black guy, was Kevin Peter Hall, was the actual predator in the movie Predator. Uh, <laughs> Really? Yes, he was the actual, uh, the story goes that uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme uh, was the original Predator, but he was too clumsy in the outfit. And I believe the director, I think his name is Paul Verhoeven. Uh, is there any yes, like Paul Verhoeven. grunting or any, is just a movement? Well, apparently he broke his ankle uh, in the costume and because he was trying to do ballet moves. And Paul Verhoeven was like, uh, no, this isn't a uh, flash dance, dude. We need someone to be intimidating. <laughs> and then they got Kevin Peter Hall, who was uh, seven feet in real life. And uh, 
But we, we we'll go, we'll have a movie podcast, Jenny, where I just tell you obscure facts about movies. Then uh, I love it. But Great. this has been uh, the inappropriate Girl. podcast. Jenny Wright, uh, I I'll thank you a fifty first time. Thank you for the movies you provided. Uh, thank you for Crime Story, Kevin Spacey, uh, NYPD Blue. Like you are the definition of a working actor for twenty plus years. Not many people can say that. So just thank you so much. And uh, I'll see you soon, Jenny. Thank you. Thank you. How do we end this? You're just going to close that?